Hey guys, welcome to Telling the Told and Untold. My name is Tsiho. straight into today's case i'd like to give you guys a couple of content warnings in this video we do talk about s assault and this case does involve children so if that's not something you think you're interested in watching then this video probably isn't for you so maybe you can watch some of my other videos or just wait for my next upload for today's case we're going all the way to toleni which is a small rural village in the eastern cape and it would later be known as the village of death Toleni lies along the N2 highway about 15 kilometers from Butterworth, a town situated between East London and Ntata. And Toleni is a place where everyone knows everyone and it's a place where people used to be able to sleep alone in their homes with the doors open because they never worried about anyone entering their houses at night. But that, will all, that would all change in 2007. On the 11th of May, no Finnish Maikiso son was waiting for her to come over, just to come over and visit him. And she never came. The hours went by and she hadn't said anything to him. So he decided to go to his mother's house just to make sure that she was fine and see if the plans had changed. But once he got there, his whole life would change. He got into the house and on the bed, he found his 78 eight-year-old mother brutally murdered with an axe. Blood patterns would later show that the perpetrator had went into the house, hacked her to death, left, later returned, inflicted more wounds and also sexually assaulted her post-mortem. Police officers investigated but they really couldn't find much and people in the community were so shocked and surprised but they weren't really that scared. They didn't think that something like that would happen to them because this happened at a time in Toleni where a lot of Tarvins were emerging and people said that there were a lot of um, alcohol-driven violent crimes so they, so they just attributed No Finish's death to that and they just didn't really think much of it until a year later when a similar attack happened. Nolundo Ungani woke up and she found a man standing in her bedroom. He brutally sexually assaulted her and murdered her with an axe. The next morning her neighbors woke up and they found that her front door was open and they thought it was a bit strange so they just went to go check on her and that's when they discovered her body. Again, things would be quiet in Toleni for the next 12 months until January 2009. Ngadiwe Mafika and her two children, Zintle and Lazola, had been brutally murdered. Her husband worked in another province, so he wasn't home, and she didn't get a lot of visitors, so it took a while for the three bodies to be found. But once their bodies were found, police officers had their suspect, which was... Nidiwe's sister, Manakalo, who happened to live in Joburg. Manakalo said that police officers harassed her and accused her of having murdered her sister by getting gangs in Gauteng to go all the way to Eastern Cape to have her sister murdered. And they believed that she had something to do with it because when everyone was mourning the, the deaths of Nidiwe and her two children, they said that Manakalo just 
wasn't crying like the other family members and they just thought that that was very strange and they told her that she couldn't go back to Gauteng to where she lived and worked because they said that they were still investigating the case and that she'd be able to leave after three weeks. Three weeks went by and she managed to go back home and once she was back in Joburg she said that eight police officers went to her house and this time they told her that they knew that she wasn't the one to have had her sister killed but they knew that she knew the person who had something to do with it and then they told her that they would be in contact with her three weeks from then but they never got in contact with her again and everyone in Toleni knew that police officers thought that Manokalo had something to do with her sister and her niece's deaths so the whole community ostracized her whenever she would greet people they wouldn't answer and they would look away and it was just such a terrible time for her because not only had she just lost her younger sister and her two nieces but now people thought that she had something to do with it and yeah. A few days after the Mafika family murders, No Crazy Nogaya and her six-year-old daughter Siponolo were both brutally sexually assaulted and murdered. Her 14-year-old son fortunately survived the attack, but he really didn't remember much about what happened. The year went on and there were four more crime scenes uncovered in Toleni. All of them were so gruesome and different police units would go and and investigate and they would all come back with different conclusions. This happened because in Toleni there was no police station. I think the closest police station to Toleni was about 30 kilometers away so whenever there was a crime scene they would kind of just call the police officers that were available to go to the scene which is why different police units from different like towns and cities would come in to investigate and they never really worked together to try and solve these crimes. Two years after the first gruesome murder, 10 people had also been murdered, six children and four women. Some of the victims had been sexually assaulted, but all of them had been hacked to death. And the perpetrator would alternate between using an axe and sometimes using a knife. All of the victims were women and children and it was clear that the perpetrator knew that there were no males living in the house. People in the community couldn't believe that someone would break into people's houses and murder them in such a brutal way and they even thought that it was a group of people and not just one person because when the murders would happen the night before no one would hear anything like no one would hear any commotion they wouldn't hear any screaming so they didn't think that one person would be able to go into a house and kill three people without hearing anything. In June 2010, residents of Toleni woke up to another gruesome crime scene. The killer or killers had struck again. Nondwembeki had been ironing clothes the night before and when she was done she switched off the lights and went to bed. Little did she know that someone had been watching her. The next morning she woke up to get ready for work and when she got to the kitchen she noticed that both the kitchen door and her daughter's door was open and she thought it was a bit strange so she went to go check on her daughter Sinazo Pamela and her two children aged six and two. As soon as she opened the door she found her daughter on the floor and 
it was clear that she was dead and in the bed she found her two grandchildren. It was a very bloody scene and it was clear that all three of them had been hacked to death. It would later turn out that the killer had been watching Nondwe ironing the clothes and watched her switch off the lights and then he broke into the house and he went to the first door that he saw and he thought that it was Nondwe in the room but it turned out that it was her daughter and her grandchildren and the killer went through with his plan of murder. Nondwe really blamed herself for not hearing anything the night of the murders and not being able to stop it. She said that around midnight she heard footsteps which wasn't strange because Sinazo would always wake up in the middle of the night to get some food for her youngest who was two years old. So when she heard footsteps around midnight it was around the time Sinazo would always go to the kitchen and would be busy so she really didn't think much of it and she went to bed. That was the only thing that she heard that night. After news broke about the three murders, Nondo's family, like her in-laws, blamed her for her daughter and her grandchildren's deaths and they believed that she had been having extramarital affairs and that her partners had killed her daughter and her grandchildren. And not too long after the murders, her husband was in a car accident and unfortunately he lost his life and after his death her in-laws blamed her again and they basically forced her out of Tolene. All the crimes that had taken place over the last three years had all been investigated by different police units but now with the Mbeki family murders police knew that they had to do something and because of this the organized crime unit from East London was called in and Batandwa Aaron Hanise was the lead investigating officer. It also just happened that Tuleni was his hometown so because of this he was probably more determined than anything to solve all the murders that had been happening in Tuleni. As he drove into Tuleni the first thing that he took note of was the fact that all the murders had been taken had been taking place in the upper area of Tuleni and not in the lower area so he thought that was really interesting. He also decided to call the SAP psychology unit in Pretoria and ask them to just look at all the case dockets that they had that they had from all the murders that had taken place up to that point just to try and find any patterns or trends about the killer and the crimes that he would commit. And the first thing that they noticed was that all the murders would take place on a Sunday and more often than not the bodies would be found the next day on Monday. So the people in Tuleni also had like prayer meetings and Sunday services where they would pray and just ask God to help them find the culprit so that the culprit would be arrested and Tuleni would be safe again. And it got to the point where they would have prayer meetings on Sunday and then on Monday bodies would be found and they didn't want those people hosting the Sunday services and the prayer meetings to have those things anymore because every single time they would have those prayer meetings on Sunday, the next day 
they would find another crime scene. So they were like, you guys really aren't helping us. And that's how bad the murders taking place in Tuleni were. They also determined that the killer had to be from Tuleni and it was someone that people in the community knew. Because as I mentioned earlier, Tuleni is a place where everyone knows everyone. So they didn't think that it would be an outsider because if it was an outsider or an outsider had been lurking around the community, people would notice that, hey, we don't know this person. This is a new person in the community. So they were like, you guys have to know who's committing these murders. Also, the killer would target houses where there were no males. So if you were like lurking in the area and maybe taking notes of it, people would also notice that, hey, this outsider has been in the community for a while, like looking at this house. So it has to be someone from the area. All the injuries on the victims were also similar, but there was one specific one that I think all of the victims had, and it was a wound to the left side of the head, almost in like the exact same position. So with all this information that police officers gathered, they determined that it was one killer and it wasn't a group of people. Another reason that made that made police officers believe this is because usually when there are like serial murders happening, it's usually one person. Yes, there are like instances where maybe it's a group of people or two people that are committing murders but in this case they did believe it was one person and they also strongly believed this because they knew that it was someone in the community and everyone knows everyone so they believed that if it was maybe like two people then people in the community would have noticed if these two if these two people weren't as close as they used to be so let's say for example there's Ayanda and Sesoike and people know that these two people are very close like they're really good friends but then all of a sudden the two of them are not as close and maybe they're like fighting and people like would take notes of this they didn't think that all these murders would have taken place over the last three years and a pair working together wouldn't have gotten into some arguments in those last three years. I hope I'm making sense. A reward was also set up for 250 rand for any information leading to the arrest of the Toleni monster and police officers didn't even get one single tip and that also just drove home the fact that people in this community didn't know or didn't even have like a an inkling about who had been committing all of these murders because usually when a reward is set up to help you know police officers get information about a missing persons case or a murder there's always a call like always a phone call people have people always think they know something or they think something so the fact that there wasn't even one single phone call or one person that like you know called in trying to claim this reward literally just told police officers that these people don't know who's killing them like they don't know who's killing people in the community which was such a scary thing because they didn't even know where to start looking when it would get dark the atmosphere in Tuleni would immediately change it would be dead silent everyone was just waiting and fearing for their lives the women in the community had all all got machetes so that they could try and protect themselves especially if they stayed alone or if they stayed with children Nomfundi Sombojana was staying alone her daughter was out of the house and her husband worked in Cape Town so she really just had the house to herself there was one night where she was watching TV and all of a sudden 
all the lights went off so she went to look out of the window just to see if it was just her house or the whole community and she saw that everyone's lights were off so after this happened she kind of heard like footsteps in her yard and these yards are like it's like a homestead where it's like a large area of land and maybe like your house is like a little piece you know so if you hear footsteps you know that it's in your yard it's not like houses that are very close together and you hear footsteps and maybe it's like your neighbor you know so when she heard footsteps she knew that it was in her yard and literally her heart started beating she was so scared so she could hear like the footsteps nearing her kitchen door and she was like i hear these footsteps so she also started like nearing the kitchen door trying to just listen to make sure that she's not hearing things and then she got to the kitchen door she pressed her ear against the door just so that she could hear if you're not trying to hear if she could hear someone breathing or just hear something on the other side and that's when she smelled something it smelled either like marijuana or like I think like just very bad tobacco and immediately she knew that there's someone on the other side of the door so she crept to her bedroom she got out her machete so that she could protect herself in case the killer like like broke into her house so that she could use it on them but as she was standing there and she just felt like so vulnerable she was standing there holding the machete and she's waiting for this guy to break in and she's looking at the machete she's looking at the door and she just got so scared she's like imagine this person breaks into my house and then they overpower me they get the machete and they use my own weapon to kill me and it scared her so much that she literally just like put it away and then she called one of her uncles who just happens to be um a detective for one of the police stations and she called them and then after a while she saw the police lights like nearing her house and then they searched the area made sure that she was okay and then they took her to a neighbor's house and that's where she slept that night um i don't know why he didn't do something during that time because as can you like it was a while like the police took a while to get there you know that the police stations are very far from Tuleni, so it's not like it could take them like five minutes to get there maybe it takes them like 30 minutes or even more and i just think it's because he would usually just wait for victims to go to bed he would make sure that it's very quiet before he does anything so maybe you he heard her moving around knew that she was awake and knew that it would be high risk to break in at that point so he was just kind of waiting with women and children fearing for their lives, Nomfundiso then decided to open up her home for all of them. She had burglar bars on her windows and she really believed that there would be safety in numbers. At one point, there were about 19 women and children living in her house. They got social workers to help them. They brought about 15 mattresses to her house and they would also bring groceries every week and that's where they stayed. They had people patrolling around the house at night to make sure that nothing happened and it really helped like there was nothing happening in Tuleni around that time police officers also started like like you know just surveil surveilling Tuleni like the area making sure that nothing's happening and because of police presence and women and children living under the same roof the murders died down and nothing happened for a while 12 months had passed and there had been no murders and the people in Toleni felt relief they thought that their nightmare had finally come to an end but then there was another murder and it was one of the worst 
the Mutunyelwas lived on a homestead. It was the main house and there was another house. On the night of the murders, there was an uncle sleeping, but he heard nothing. The killer gained access through an opening in the door. He walked in and he got to the main room where he found the grandmother, Nomandla, and her four grandchildren, aged 1 to 13. Notolo, Nomandla's daughter, had left her 14-month-old son with her mother for the night. The killer took 12-year-old Lucania outside of the house and there he sexually assaulted her and hacked her to death. She would be found there the next morning and she had been covered with a blanket. He then returned to the house and he hacked Nomandla to death and he hacked 14-month-old Liema to death. So he murdered Lucano, Nomandla and Liema. There were two survivors. There was an 11-year-old boy who had also been hacked and he suffered brain damage. And then there was a three-year-old that he had missed because she was covered in blankets. With these three murders, the community were more convinced than ever that it was a group of people and not just one person. But police were sure that it was one person. What made them more sure that it was one person and not just a group of people was because they had gathered DNA evidence from some of the crime scenes. They had found semen on some of the victims' bodies and their clothings. And the DNA profile showed that it belonged to one person and not multiple people. So because Toleni is such a small area and they had a DNA sample of the killer, the sub-psychology unit then suggested that they just take DNA samples from all the males in the community. So then on the 17th of May 2012, Operation Good Hope was launched. So police officers went to Toleni. It was everyone, people from different police units, from police stations. They literally surrounded Toleni to make sure that people wouldn't leave once they knew that they had to take their DNA. Like police officers were there to take their DNA samples. They had to go to the community church. And it was all the males from age 16 onwards until like the oldest person there and they took all of their saliva samples. Police officers also went to people's houses to make sure that there were no men left and no men were like hiding from them. The houses that didn't even have males present, police officers searched the houses just to make sure that no one was hiding and they literally just made sure that none of these men were going to escape. If you were a visitor and you were visiting your aunt, you were visiting your grandmother, but you were there the day of Operation Good Hope, your DNA sample was also going to be taken. They left nothing to chance. Almost 340 samples were taken from all the men in Toleni that day. And after this, people in the community thought that, you know, police officers were getting close they were going to find the killer but then another murder took place in august and it was that 
of Nompumzile Lubambo was 55 years old and she was living with her five-year-old granddaughter. A couple of weeks earlier, she had asked her nephew to come stay with them until the killer had been found so that they could be safe. And on the day of the murder, her five-year-old granddaughter was next door and she had asked her nephew to just go fetch her and bring her home. But, you know, she's five years old. She was having so much fun. She didn't want to come back home. So the nephew just decided to leave her with the neighbors, which I think was just a blessing in disguise. So afterwards, he went back and again, it's a homestead. And I think he lived like in his own little bedroom that wasn't part of the main house and Numpumzile was in the main house so he got back to the yard he went to bed and he's like you know what if my aunt wants me then she can just like give me a call she can come knock on the window you know she can come see me but I'm just going to bed so he went to sleep and the next morning he woke up he got out of his room and he was going to use the bathroom and this is when he noticed that there was a window broken in the main house and immediately he just knew that something was wrong. He didn't want to go check it out like he just like he just knew something was wrong and immediately he called his neighbor and he said please come over something's wrong and the neighbor asked what's wrong and he's like the window's broken I don't know I don't know what happened but I know something's wrong and as soon as the neighbor got there he went to the window and he looked inside and he just saw someone laying on the floor with a comforter over their body so he told the nephew just to go inside the house he said don't touch anything in case you know police officers might need it for evidence but just go check on your aunt just go inside but just don't touch anything else so he walked in he saw his aunt lying on the floor and she was called to the touch. Detective Batandra arrived on the scene and he noticed that in the center of the house there was a coffee table and there was a very large footprint on the coffee table. He looked up and he saw that the light bulb had been taken out and it was on one of the cupboards near the end of the house so he took note of that and also when he got to Toleni that day there had been rumors going around the community about a Siabonga Mabai and that he might be involved in all of the murders that have been taking place. So Siabonga had been known in the community as someone who was very short-tempered. He was someone who would drink a lot and he would get into arguments with people. He would fight people and he wasn't the type of person to be scared. Like he wasn't scared to stab you in broad daylight in front of people. You know, he was someone that people like feared. They knew that he was very dangerous. He was very violent. So Detective Batandra knew that Siabonga's brother, Bulelani, lived less than 100 kilometers from where he was, from the crime scene. So he was like, all these rumors are going around about Siabonga. His brother lives just here. So let me just go question his brother about, you know, himself, about his brother. Like question Bulelani about his brother. So he got to Bulelani's house and he walked into the house and he found Bulelani sitting on the bed. And as he got into the house, he saw Bulelani and he looked down and he noticed his shoe. And his foot was so big. He looked at the shoe 
and immediately he said this is the same shoe this is the same footprint that i found on the coffee table and immediately he took Blelani's shoe off he walked back to the crime scene and mind you it's less than 100 km 100 meters i'm saying 100 kilometers less than 100 meters away he walked back to the house went to the coffee table looked at the shoe looked at the footprint on the coffee table and he was like no these this is the same exact shoe so he thought that maybe he might be crazy so he called some of his colleagues all the other police officers that were also on the scene he called them to come you know double check that he's not seeing things and all of them agreed that it was the same shoe and immediately he knew that okay i need to go and arrest bulelani or at least go and question him some more so he went back to bulelani's and then he just started looking around the house and behind the cupboard he found an axe that just had like blood spots on it in the dustbin he found um, he found that the dustbin had was filled to the brim with hand gloves like those gloves that you find at like hospitals you know those latex gloves and then he walked outside and on the washing line he found clothes that Bulelani had worn the night before and he had just washed them so he went back to Bulelani and he asked him he's like okay what are these you know what are these blood marks on your axe and he just said it belongs to mrs lubambo it's me i'm the one that killed her just like that and everyone was just so shocked because he didn't try to hide it he didn't try and come up with another reason he just said up front it's mrs bulelani's blood it's mrs lubambo's blood rather I killed her and immediately they arrested him. So on the 12th of August 2012, Bulela Nimabai was arrested and he was 38 years old. Detective Batamlo thought that once they arrested the killer, it was going to be some huge buff guy, but Bulelani was so small and he was so tiny that you know he couldn't believe it. People in the community were so shocked by Bulelani's arrest and they couldn't believe that it was just someone that was right there next to them, you know? And he wasn't really like people really didn't know him much in Tuleni. He was very quiet, he was said to not greet people and he was known as Kleedra. Um, which means like he'd eat alone. That's how much of a loner he was, you know, he didn't make friends and Before they really didn't suspect him. But as soon as Blelani was arrested That's when people started like going back and thinking about certain things that Blelani did like not greeting Everyone in Tulane would greet everyone, but he didn't greet anyone He would also walk around the community with a black headscarf and when they thought about it They're like, you know, like black a black headscarf means death and this man is going around killing people and he was actually walking around and he was letting us know that he is death. So let me tell you guys about Bulelani. Bulelani was born in Malashe in 1974. His mother died when he was just 12 years old and the following year his dad died. After their deaths, his grandmother brought him and his siblings to Toleni and Bulelani was said to be a very pleasant child. There were no issues with him 
and there was one Easter holiday where he decided to leave Toleni and go back to his grandmother's. He later returned to Toleni when he was older and he was welcomed back by people in the community, by his family. He stayed there for a while and this is when he started working in the community, plastering houses. Eventually, he would leave Toleni again and said that he couldn't stay there. He couldn't live with his brother, Siabonga, because his brother would literally just torment him so much that he couldn't deal with him. So he just gave the family his key and he left. This is when they gave him some metal sheets so that he could build like his own home on his family's plot of land, like a shack that he could stay in since he didn't want to live in Toleni. And once he left, they heard that he was seen in Butterworth eating from garbage bins, you know, like he wasn't living a really good life and it just made them so sad that he didn't want to stay in Toleni with them. The people in Toleni though wanted Bulela needed to come back because they said that he was really good at plastering their houses. His, his fee was very affordable. So they really wanted him to come back. So the family would tell him like, listen, people want to hire you. People have jobs for you, you know, to plaster their houses and things like that. And this is when he returned to Toleni. And it's something that those people just hated themselves for after Bulelani was arrested because they were like, we finally got rid of the monster of Toleni. But us people in the community are the ones that brought him back. We are the ones that brought him back and kind of gave him the space to start murdering more people in the community, which they really shouldn't blame themselves for because how could they know that it was him? At the time of Lelana's arrest, the labs weren't done running the DNA samples that they had against that of the killer. So they called and they told him that they had a suspect in custody and they told the labs his sample number and they told them to fast track it. Bulelani's sample number was 336 and they had taken 339 DNA samples which means they were very far from getting to his number and eventually running it against that of the killer's sample that they had. So they fast tracked it and a week later it came back and it was a match. Bulelani was indeed the Tuleni monster and they had arrested the right man for all of the murders that had happened. Bulelani revealed to police the extent of his crimes and he would tell them that he would observe his victims, especially through the work that he would do on the houses that he was working on. So for example, he would be working at this house and next door he would see a grandmother and he could see that she had like two children that she was looking after and maybe he'd be working at that house for a month and in that month he would never see a man. So he knew that, okay, I can target this house next. So that's literally what he did. Every time he would work at a new house, he would look at all the neighbors surrounding that house and he would literally just observe them, know who lives there, how many children, how many women, if there's a man, if there's no man, if there is a man, when does he come home, when is he gone? He'd literally just watch his victims before he would go and murder them. Bulelani also identified all of his victims and it was more than the 19 names that police had at the time. There was one crime that had not been committed in Toleni and there was another one that happened in Toleni but police officers didn't think that Bulelani had something to do with it until he confessed. 
So Bulelane was passing Mrs. Klazo's house and she lived there with her two grandchildren. So Bulelane told her that he wanted Mrs. Klazo to pay him upfront, wanted her to pay everything at once and she said that she couldn't do it because she hadn't been paid yet. So she went to her neighbor and she told the, her neighbor this dilemma that she was facing that you know Bulelane wants all of his money right now but she doesn't have all of the money yet and the neighbor just suggested that she go to the bank and take out a loan so that she can pay Bulelane upfront and just get it over and done with and that's exactly what she did but this angered him and he just wasn't happy about the whole situation even though he had already been paid everything up front and he just had to do the house so he had left a loose brick and i'm not too sure where this loose brick was but i assume it was next to the door like he left a loose brick so that he'd be able to take it out and then open the door but there is a where the loose brick was so he left a loose brick and then he managed to get into the Tlazo family home and he had his axe and he hacked mrs Tlazo and her two grandchildren to death he then found a paraffin stove there in the house and he switched it on and he set the house alight and he left. It was reported as arson and an inquest was made but there was no case. To this day, Bulelani has not given a reason why he murdered all of those women and children. All he would say is that he would see a woman and he would just hack them. Or he would see a child and he would hack. That's all he would say. He wouldn't say why. And his family was so surprised and taken aback because they said that children loved Bulelani. Like all the people, all the children in his family they would like run up to him he would play with them and he loved them so much so they just didn't understand how someone who loved children so much could go on and murder so many after Bulelane was arrested they had to go to court for the hearing and there is footage of his victims families in that same courtroom and it's so heartbreaking their cries their pains like you can just hear it and it was so hard to watch you could also see Nokolo, the one that lost her 14 month old son just look at him in so much disbelief like she's staring at him she's pointing her voice is shaking she's crying and Bulilan is just looking at her like you know like emotionless no remorse so heartbreaking Bulelani Mabai pleaded guilty to 20 charges of murder and 16 of rape. Eventually, Bulelani Mabai was found guilty of 20 counts of murder, 6 of rape, and 10 of burglary. He was sentenced on the 3rd of September 2013 to 25 years to life imprisonment. To this day, people are convinced that Bulelani did not act alone and there were other people involved. And this is because they don't think that someone could walk into a house where there are five people and try and kill all of them and no one hears anything. No one hears a scream, no one hears commotion, no one is able to run out while he's busy hacking someone to death. They just don't understand how it's possible that someone 
like Bulelani, who's also very small, could walk into a house where there's a grandmother and there's a 13-year-old, there's a 12-year-old, there's a 3-year-old and no one does anything, no one tries to run, no one tries to scream. They just don't think that he's able, like he was able to do that alone and they really believe that one day they will find out that it was more than just one person. They strongly believe that everything that happens in the dark will always come out when it's light outside and they're just waiting for that day. After Bulelane's arrest and conviction, there have been no other crimes like the ones he committed. His brother Siabonga Mabai, who died in 2012, was ruled out as being an accomplice by police. It also came out that Bulelane is related to a convicted murderer who was sentenced in 2012 to two life terms and an additional 10 years for the murder of a 70-year-old grandmother and her 12-year-old daughter. The case is so similar to all the murders that Bulelane was convicted of and people just found found it to be too much of a coincidence that someone that he is directly related to was convicted of such a similar murder and was sentenced in 2012 the same year that Bulelani was arrested and the same year that his aggressive brother also happened to have died so people just think that there's no way that Bulelane committed these murders all on his own and someone that he's related to committed a similar murder and that his brother also died and that all the murders just stopped. Let me know what you think and that's it for today's case. Thank you guys so so much for watching. I know what I know it was a very hard case, it was a very hard case for me too. But please don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps my channel out a lot. And I'll see you guys next time. Bye.